Listen, I don't know who needs to hear this message. I think all of us do. But I have never felt an attack from the enemy like me trying to get up here today. So I'm going to stay seated. I'm, I'm out of energy. I sat in the first service as well to try to save up enough for you guys. Um, so if I run out of gas and just keel over, um, you, you can tune in online and watch the end of the first service, okay? I'll be in heaven. You'll be fine. <laughs> if you've got your outline, open that up. So here's the deal. This summer we're going on a joyride through the book of Philippians. Philippians is a great book. I want to tell you, Philippians might be my favorite book of the Bible. I love Philippians. This is the fourth time I've taught through Philippians in the last 29 and a half years. Probably I should have taught it more than that instead of just every seven or eight years. Philippians is the happiest book of the Bible. It's the most joyful book in the whole Bible. We know that because the word joy, the word glad, the word enjoy, the word rejoice appears in its various forms 15 times in this very short book. Like I said, it's the most joyful book in the Bible. And here's what's amazing to me. It was written by the Apostle Paul, if you didn't know that. We're going to talk about some of the backstory, which blows my mind when you hear the backstory. And what is amazing to me is that Paul wrote the book of Philippians. It's actually a letter to the church at Philippi. He wrote this while he was in prison in Rome. He had been in prison for two years, and he was moved to Rome, and he's going to be in prison for another couple of years. And to me, what that means is that your joy, your enjoyment in life, doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances, because Paul was in the worst possible circumstances. And as we'll study through this book, when you see the, I mean, you think you've had a bad two and a half years? Let me just tell you, by the time he pens this, the two and a half years that he had had trumps any pandemic, any other kind of thing that we've ever gone through. Actually, this book is a thank you note. Paul is writing to, do any of you love getting thank you notes? We don't do that anymore, do we? I mean, we've gotten so high tech that usually if you do something really nice for somebody, what you're going to get is you're going to get THX in a text, and maybe you'll get a smiley face emoji or some high hands. And A lot of times you'll just get a fist bump or a thumbs up. That's it. That's all you got. You didn't even get the THX for thanks. And it's because we're so busy. But Paul takes the time to dictate this letter that Timothy actually writes and that a guy we're going to meet uh, delivers. And he's writing to the church in Philippi, which is a city in Greece, and it's a church that he started. He planted this church. And he's now in Rome, and he's writing to thank them. He's thanking them for the financial gifts that they've given him, for the prayer support that they've given him, for supporting him um, with their lo- for their love, all these things. And, you know, Philippians is almost the most personal book. In, of all the letters that Paul wrote, this is like the most personal book in the Bible. And we're going to look at it for the next eight weeks as we go through the book of Philippians. Here's what we do every summer. Every summer, I like to take one of the best series that I've ever done, and I do that for the summer. And the reason I do that is, look, I realize, y'all are going to come to church like Labor Day to Memorial Day. You're going to come to church anyway, or you're going to tune in anyway. But there's a lot of extra options. When you got the kids at home, you got vacations, you got the beach, you got Disney. It's way too hot to go to Disney. If you're watching, but if you're at Disney and watching in line for Space Mountain, my hat's off to you. Thank you. They're probably not, so... I'm wishful thinking. We want to give some of the best teaching as possible all summer long. And the reason why is because I want to reward you. If you come in the summer, I feel like you should get, like, the best. You should get something that I know is tried and proven and already means so much to me. Um, so that's what we're going to do. I don't want you to miss any of the next eight weeks. If you're going to miss, I mean, don't cancel a cruise and don't cancel a vacation. But you can watch online on a cruise ship. I have. I watched last week Pastor Rich online. In fact, I was kind of going through. I, I can... I know some of the back of your heads, the silhouettes of your heads, so I could kind of tell who was here and who wasn't, you know. Like, oh, look at that big ear. I know who that is. And um, don't point at anybody. Look at that bald head. I know who that's not, right? So, look, if you want to be joyful, where do you start? If you want to enjoy life more, if you want to have a more enjoyable life, if you want to be happy in life, where do you start? What do you start with? Do you start with money? Do you start with work? Do you start with... Your time management, those are all good things that we could work on that would help us have more joy in our life. 
What would you start with? You say, you know, I really want to be more joyful. Pastor Jerry, the last two and a half years have kind of sucked. I can say that on Father's Day. You can't say that on Mother's Day, but I can say that word on Father's Day. Pastor Jerry, the last two years, two and a half years have sucked, and I want the next two and a half years to be a lot better. I want to have a lot more joy, a lot more fun, a lot more happiness, and enjoy life. What do I need to do? Well, Paul starts with relationships. And I think it's because it's impossible to enjoy life. It's impossible to be joyful if your relationships are unhappy. Everybody kind of agree with that? I mean, you meet all kinds of people. And um, you, you meet all kinds of these people. They have all kinds of money. They've got all kinds of fame, famous people. They've got all kinds of... They experience every pleasure. They can, they can have every experience under the sun. But if they're in the middle of a divorce, they are not happy. Did you just watch the trial with Johnny and Amanda? Oh, my goodness. I'm glad that's finally over. They're still not happy, are they? Of course not. There's no joy. Because if your relationships aren't happy... Or if your relationships are unhappy, your life is going to be unhappy. So Paul, when he starts talking about living a joyful life, he begins right off the bat. The first 11 verses of Philippians 1 is what we're going to talk about today. He starts talking about how do you have a healthy relationship? How do you, how do you focus on your relationships? And let me tell you, these are things that even though I've taught this multiple times, some of you, you've been here since the very beginning, you've probably heard me teach this. Um, these are things that we've got to go back and redouble our efforts on. So we're going to talk about how to have healthy relationships. And we've got to start here because we can't go anywhere else on this joyride until we get this down first. And in the first 11 verses, Paul makes a description of his relationship. And he's actually describing his relationship with the church that he planted in Philippi. And he gives us four statements that we're going to focus on. Uh, I'm going to read you the 11 verses, and then we'll go back and uh, I'm going to read them real fast, and we'll go back and pick them apart. This is verse 1 through 11 of Philippians 1. This letter is from Paul. And Timothy, he's actually the one who penned it, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's people in Philippi who belong to Jesus Christ, including the elders and the deacons. I just chuckle at that because he just wants us to make sure that we understand that the elders and deacons, they belong to Jesus Christ too. I don't know why he has to say that. May God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. This is the introduction. Now it gets to the very first subject. He says in verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for you all, of, for my quest for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Can't you hear the personal nature of this book? In verse 9 he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So these first 11 verses, Paul gives us four things. Did you write them all down? Did you circle them all under them all? It's funny how you can read a passage and kind of get caught up in it and then miss all the, all the key application parts. That's why we're going to break this back down. Because what we find in here is four habits that help me enjoy the people in my life. And that is going to help me enjoy life. Now, let me just let you know, these are very easy for me to explain. They're simple to understand. Cognitively, logically, you're going to get... In fact, you may even be, you may be even thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, I, I know this. Oh, yeah, I know this. But here's the thing. You know it, but you don't do it. We know these truths. We just don't practice these truths. They're incredibly, they're easy to understand. They're simple, but they're incredibly hard to implement and to do. So although it's easy for me to teach them, it's hard for us to practice them. But if we do, if we put these into practice, these four relational habits and build them into our life, our relationships will be transformed and we'll enjoy the people in our life more. The first thing that Paul says, and I want you to write this down, 
I must be grateful for the people in my life. I must be grateful for the people in my life. Study after study after study links gratitude with happiness and joy. It's been proven over and over again by psychologists, by sociologists, and others that the more grateful we are, the more joy and the more happiness we have in our life, the more we'll experience joy. The more ungrateful we are, by the way, the more unhappy we will be. If we want to have good relationships, we have to start with an attitude of gratitude. We will enjoy relationships more if we develop that, had, that habit of being grateful for the people in our life. Paul starts off with this in verse 3. He says, every time I think of you, remember, he's in Rome, and they're in a city called Philippi, all the way over in Greece. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. He says, I remember the good times about you, and I focus on the good times that we've had. Now, this simple truth is the source of good relationships. I can tell you from experience of personal experience and the experience of hundreds of other, of other people. When a marriage stops doing this, when marriages stop doing this, they start to crumble. When you stop remembering why you got married in the first place, and they used to say this started happening around seven years, they used to call it the seven-year itch, right? Some people, you're overachievers, you, you stop remembering why I got in the first year, I don't know. But you stop, when you stop remembering why you got married in the first place and what attracted you to that person, when you stop, stop remembering the good times, when you stop being grateful for your mate, your marriage is already on the long slide into oblivion. And Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God for you. So when you think of the people in your life, do you? is your first thought gratitude? No, mine either. It's not. What we usually think about first is, hey, what can they do for me? Um, or, you know, how is their decision impacting me? Are they late? You know, are, are they in a hurry? Why is he always in a hurry? Um, what's not right? What problems are we working on over and over and over again? What do we need to get done? Our first thought is not gratitude. Paul says, when I think of you, the first thing I do is I give gratitude. I'm grateful for who you are. And I'm grateful for what you've done. And the problem with this is that the longer we know anyone, the longer you know someone, the more you take them for granted. You can even have a good relationship. I just buried my best friend. We spent lots of time together, but over the last two years, we've spent a third of the time together. And I have a huge regret that we, I didn't try harder. I thought I had more time. And even though I, I'd known him for, for seven years... Still took for granted. And this was a great, a healthy relationship with a prayer partner and encourager that I could call or text at any time of the night. And it's true in all of our relationships. The longer you're married to someone, the easier it is to take them for granted. The longer your kids are your kids, the easier it is to take someone for granted. The longer your parents are your parents. And by the way, your parents are your parents your whole life, right? Think about that. You'll, you'll get it. The easier it is to take, take them for granted. And the more you focus on their faults, the easier it is to remember the bad times. I don't know why, but it's always easier to remember the bad times than the good times. It's like the emotional scars, the scars of life. We remember those. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks. If we would develop this habit that whatever we, whenever we think of the people in our life, our friends, our neighbors, our, our husband, our wife, our kids, our relatives, that the first thought would be gratitude. God, I thank you for them in my life. It will change our relationships. That habit is a habit we have to develop, and it doesn't come natural. We are not naturally grateful people. By nature, we are discontented people. We, by nature, are always wanting more, always wanting different, always wanting things to be, to be better or different or whatever. If you know the story the backstory of the church that Paul planted there in Philippi, there was this woman named Lydia. Lydia was a businesswoman, and she housed the first church. She opened up her home to start a home church with Paul in her home. She was a great Christian woman, and Christian women should be celebrated and celebrated even on Father's Day because the New Testament is full of you women who have stepped up. Several times in Paul's travels, the Philippian church was funding Paul's missionary journey. So he would come back to the church that was meeting in Lydia's house, and they would take a love offering and say, hey, 
use this to go plant another church over here, and I'll go on another missionary journey over there. And in this particular incident, incident, they had sent a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. You don't have to say it. You don't have to spell it. There's no test on it. Okay? They sent this man named Epaphroditus all the way to Rome to bring Paul a financial gift because Paul was in Rome in prison by himself and he had some needs there. In fact, Epaphroditus almost died on this trip. We'll get back to that later in the story, but just know, look, when you go traveling, we all know this now, especially after a pandemic, you go traveling post-pandemic, you are taking your life in your own hands, okay? I came back, and I mean, I don't have COVID. I, my antibodies are like 150, vaccinated, had it in Christmas, all that. But I came up with some other bug, some other stomach bug from being in this giant Petri dish up in the air for, for three hours yesterday, right? So that's why I'm sitting down. That's why I'm not going to hug anybody. I might fist bump you if you promise to use hand sanitizer afterwards. I'm not afraid of you. You should be afraid of me. So Epaphroditus almost dies on the way. We'll talk about that. And now Paul is sending him back with this thank you note. Epaphroditus is the one who delivered the letter to the Philippians that we call the book of Philippians. He's, and Paul says, I thank God for the help that you gave me. I just wonder in our own life, who have we forgotten what is it that we've forgotten that other people have done for us? You think about that coach that believed in you. You think about that teacher that challenged you. You think about that first boss who mentored you. You think about those, those friends of yours that, yeah, you know, we can pick up where we left off, but, but you haven't talked to them in, in several months or maybe even years. Because, again, the longer you know someone, the easier it is to take them for granted. And the more you start ending up looking, like, looking for their faults. And the easier it is to remember the bad things instead of the good things. And the truth about Paul, in the, if I tell you the backstory, I'm going to tell you the backstory of the, the church in Philippi. Paul did not have a good time in Philippi. There's no way you could describe. Now, you don't read any of that in the way he's presenting this thank you note to them, in the way that he's talking about them. But Philippi was one of the roughest church plants in the history of church planting. You don't get any of that from this letter, but the fact is when when Paul went to this city to start this church, they didn't welcome him in. They didn't throw him a parade. No, they threw stones at him. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was flogged. He was humiliated. He was falsely arrested. Listen, I'm a church planner. If I had been falsely arrested for planning this church, I'm out of here. You know, I'm gone. He was thrown into prison. He... He went through an earthquake, y'all. He goes through all of this, and then he was politely, sarcastically, I'm saying, he was politely asked to leave town by the city leaders. You need to leave town now. But when he writes, he says, when I think of you, I thank God for you. What is Paul doing? He's choosing selective memory. This was not a happy place all the time. This was not all sunshine and lollipops and roses and rainbows and My Little Pony. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened in Philippi, and a lot of it happened to Paul. But Paul chose not to dwell on the painful memories. Are you still living with some painful memories? People who've hurt you. People in your life. That they said something, they did something, they maligned you. Hopefully they didn't stone you or whip you or put you in prison. But are there some people that you've just never left off the hook? And you can't enjoy the relationship because you're still holding on to the past. You see, memories are a choice. Will you fill that in? Memories are a choice. Kristen said celebration is a choice. And it's true. Memories are also a choice. If you want to hold on to your painful memories in the past, you go right ahead. But you are never going to be happy. Welcome to miserable town for you and all of those around you. Your whole household will be miserable if you, keep, if you choose to hold on to the painful memories of the past. And Paul had a lot of reasons to have painful memories in Philippi. It wasn't a happy time. Beaten, maligned, all those things. But he says, you know what? Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. He's choosing to be grateful for the people in his life. Here's how you do it. How do you do that? You remember the best and you forget the rest. 
you remember the best and you forget the rest. Or if you don't like forget, you put, throw out the rest. Forgive the rest. If you want to find more joy, you remember the best and forget the rest. You got, we have got to develop this same selective memory. So I've got some homework, even for you dads. I know it's Father's Day, but you need to do this homework. I want you to go home and I want you to make a list of people in your life, your inner circle. I'm not talking about your third cousin who lives in South Dakota. I'm talking about the people in your house, your parents, your siblings, your kids, maybe your best friends, maybe your boss, my boss, yeah, maybe your boss, maybe your employee, your, your, whoever you work with the most. I want you to write down their name, and then I want you to write down five or ten things. Five or ten things that you're grateful for. And you may say, well, Jerry, you just didn't know my dad. I'm not grateful for nothing. You know, I didn't know if I was going to get a hug or a slug. You know, he, he yelled, he screamed, he hit, he abused. I don't want anything to do with him. I get it. Father's Day is a tough day for a lot of people. I want you to write down the people who are the closest to you. And as hard as it is, I want you to come out with five things that you can be grateful for. You may say, well, I don't even know if I can come with three things. Look, your dad may be in prison, but maybe he has good handwriting. He had good handwriting. You know, my dad's a prisoner, but he had really good handwriting. That's what I mean. You can find five things that you'd be grateful for. I inherited my dad's great penmanship. Even though he's in the pen, okay, or whatever. So why don't you, why don't you write down just five things of the people who are the closest to you that you're grateful for? Because look, if you're not grateful, here's what happens: you, you, when you're not grateful, you have all kinds of complaining, all kinds of worrying, all kinds of griping. And I've got to be grateful for the people in my life. The second habit of happiness and relationship happiness is, number two, I need to pray with joy for the people in my life. I need to pray for joy for the people in my life. Paul is praying, and we just read in this message, he's praying for these people. Think about that. How would you like to have the Apostle Paul praying for you? Would that be cool or what? The Apostle Paul has been praying for us. That had to just lift them up. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament is praying for him, for them. Don't you know that the Philippians thought, this is pretty cool, Paul's been praying for us. Doesn't it encourage you when you know someone is praying for you? It does me. Look, I had so many people praying for me this, this week. I had a flight that got canceled. It was a miracle that I actually made it to the funeral on Friday. I have on my phone, I have this app that lets me individually send out uh, text messages to, I, I text 50 people like this. I can have 50 people praying like this. Many, some of you are in the, in the room right now. It's my Wednesday night small group, my Friday night small group, my men's Monday night group, my elders and their wives and my staff, and then I've got a couple of relatives that I throw in there. And I can have 50 people praying for me in 10 minutes. And I'm so sorry, I blow your phone up so often. I'll walk in the hospital and say, this person's life and death is in there, and God says, we need to pray. And I just blast all of, my, all of my prayer warriors, and they stop what they're doing, and they pray. Do you know how that makes me feel to know I know these people are praying for me? And sometimes they're praying for somebody I don't even know. They don't even know, but I know them. It encourages you when you know people are praying for you. Look what he says, Philippians 1.4, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Now, I want you to think of somebody who irritates you a lot. Don't look at them. Just think of them. Please don't nudge them if you happen to ride in the car with them today. But they irritate you. And it's maybe somebody that you've got a strained relationship with. And they just kind of rub you the wrong way. I have two questions for you. I want you to be honest with yourself at least. Okay, do you pray for them? Or question number two, do you just complain and grumble and nag and nitpick about them? If we would pray more, we'd have a lot less to grumble, complain, nag, and nitpick about. So we have to decide, does nagging work? No. Every father really wishes he could say that out loud on Father's Day. But I know you're scared, so it's okay, guys. I said it for you. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. 
Does nagging work? No. Does prayer work? Yes. So why do we spend more time on the thing that doesn't work than the thing that does work? Paul says, I pray for you. And we need to pray for people in our life. And when you pray, do you pray with joy? Let me give you a little secret. We all have people in our life that we want to change. We want them to change. There are people in our lives that we would like to change. Again, don't point at anybody. We don't want to change ourselves. We want to change them. If she would just do this, if he would just do that. We always want to change other people, but we can't. We can't change other people. We can't change anybody. They can change themselves. We can't change them. We can only change ourselves. So our change program doesn't work. We try to change everybody in our life. You try to change your kids, it won't work. You try to change your spouse, it won't work. You try to change your parents, definitely won't work. You can't change an employee, you can't change a boss, you can't even change a friend. But we can pray. And God, through prayer, can change people. In fact, did you know that the people that, they just don't like you very much, you can pray for them and they cannot stop you. You better not be praying for me. I better not hear you praying for me again, Pastor. I'm praying for you right now. Ha, ha, ha. They can't stop you from praying for them. Stop praying. Don't, don't pray for me. Quit praying for me. Not going to do it. I can pray to my God for you anytime I want, and you cannot get a restraining order for that. So sorry. And here's the thing. Positive praying is a lot more effective than positive thinking. Because God can change people. We, people read all these books about positive thinking, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'd rather have you be thinking positively than negatively, okay? But all this public, positive thinking in the world isn't going to change your husband or your wife or your child or your friend or your situation. Positive thinking is not enough. Positive thinking can change you, but it can't change anybody else. But positive prayer can. So positive prayer is more powerful, much, much more powerful than positive thinking. Let me just give you this, this key to write in. The quickest way to change a bad relationship to a good one. Circle the words quickest way. The quickest way to change a bad relationship to a good one, start praying for them. Because it will change us and it will change them. Praying for your relationship changes both sides of the equation. God works. You say, oh, man, I don't know what to pray, Jerry. I mean, you say pray, and I was like, God bless my wife, or God, how do I pray for my wife, or how do I pray for my son, or how do I pray for my boss? And I don't even want to pray for my but how do I pray for my boss? And I would encourage you to pray what Paul prayed. It's right there in verses 9 to 11. Let me read it to you. Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Did you number all four of them? I'm going to break it down for us. It's easy to read great scripture and get so into the story that we miss the application. Now here's four things. That Paul prayed for the church. That you should be praying. Dads, you should be praying these for your kids. Moms, you should be praying for these for, the, for your kids. You should be praying these for your wife. You should be praying these for your siblings and for your parents. For your boss. Pray these, pray, pray these for your pastor. You want to pray for me? How do we pray for you, Pastor Jerry? You don't have a plane to catch today. How do I pray for you today? You pray these four things. You pray these four things for me every day. Pray these things for the people in your life. That's how you pray with joy. By the way, let me just say, moms and dads, look at me. Nobody should be praying for your kids more on this planet than you. If you think Josh or Nick or Pastor Rich is going to pray more, if they are praying more for your teenager than you are, shame on you. You need to catch up. You should be praying. You say, yeah, but you don't know, you don't know my, my mom. Their grandparents, they pray. You should outpray your grandparents. That's hard to do because some of us grandparents, we're determined to pray for our kids our grandkids, every single day. You should be praying for your spouse more than anybody else is praying for your spouse. That means you should be praying for her more than her mama's praying for her. You know, your mother-in-law. You're like, my mother-in-law is a prayer warrior. I can never catch up. Catch up. You should be praying for your husband more than your, his father, your father-in-law. His dad is praying for him. Nobody should excel, uh, should beat us in praying for our immediate nuclear family. That should be our goal. 
So what do you pray? Glad you asked. Here it is. Four things. We say the same thing that Paul prayed. Number one, pray they will grow in love. Paul says that your love will overflow more and more. Number two, pray that they will make wise decisions. Oh, man, pray this for your teenagers. Pray this for your little kids. Pray this for your spouse. Pray this for your, for your siblings. That they will make wise decisions. That your family, friends, and neighbors will make wise choices. He says, keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Pray that they will live with integrity. That's the third one. Paul says, pray that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. And number four, pray that they will become like Jesus. Parents, this is your prayer agenda. Husbands, this is your prayer agenda for your wife. Wives, this is your prayer agenda for your, for your husbands. This is your prayer agenda for your friends. That's your prayer agenda. The top 10, 15 people in your life, you should be praying those, all of those. Parents, this, you know, pray that they will become like Christ. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. What, circle that word fruit in verse 11. Fruit of your salvation. Circle fruit. What is the fruit he's talking about? He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I've given it to you there in Galatians. It's the next verse, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What is that? That's the perfect picture of Jesus. Those four things, you can pray for them for me. Pray them for me every day of the week. Pray that I grow in love. Pray that I make wise decisions. Pray that I will live with integrity. Pray that I become more and more like Jesus. Pray that for everyone. You can pray those for yourself. And like I said, your spouse, your kids, your parents, and everybody else. So the first thing you do is you be grateful for people. The second thing, you actually pray joyfully. Not with complaining, not with criticism. You know what I mean? Like, you hear those people pray, Oh, God, will you, sh- will you straighten this man out that I married or you made me married? Or like, Adam, how did he say it? That woman you gave me. You know, Adam's a bad example. That's not praying joyfully. That's praying whinily or crankily. I don't even think those are words. So pray joyfully. I can't even spell crankily. And, and that's what you pray. Third thing, third habit that Paul says is the next verse. I must expect the best from people in my life. These things are so simple for me to teach. They're so hard to turn into habits. We don't normally expect the best from the people close to us in our life. We expect the worst. We expect them to let us down. Why? They have a track record of letting us down. And he's saying, you've got to make a habit of believing in people rather than criticizing people. Expect the best. Philippians 1.6, he says, I am certain, circle that word certain, I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In some translations, he says, I'm confident. I'm certain, I'm confident in this, that God who began a good work, he's not going to stop. He's going to finish it to completion. So I'm expecting the best of people. And it's like, it's like this. You're not expecting necessarily the best of them because of them. You look at your teenager and you're like, man, let me down a hundred times, Jerry. I'm not expecting the best of him. Look at him. Look at the path he's on. Look at the friends he has. I'm not expecting the best of him. Look, you should expect the best of God, that God is going to continue to work in your teenager's life. And that's why you can expect the best of them, because God's at work. You know, like, well, it looks like the devil and all his music is at work right now. Yeah, it might look like that, but it isn't over. He's just a teenager. I bet if we looked in your teenage years, there'd be some people that need to pray for you too. There are three things that we can do to bring out the best in people. I don't have these as an outline, but there's a little white space there for those of you who want extra credit can write these down. Here's how I bring out the best in people. Number one, Paul, he believed in people. Write that down. I am certain. He gave, and and he, he gave them confidence. Do you give the people in your life confidence or do you tear them down? Do you build them up or do you tear them down? Man, we can all take this home. Do you give people in your life confidence? Paul says, I believe in people. I give them confidence. I help them grow. I'm confident that what God has started in your life, he's going to continue. We all need people to believe in us because that's how we change. In fact, you can't change until somebody believes in you so that helps you to believe in you. Believe in yourself. Acceptance is always precedes transformation. That's why I always say, 
Don't tell it like it is. Tell it like it could be. I meet pastors all the time. I know I have several pastor friends, acquaintances more, more or less of mine, and they love to say this. They love to say, I just tell it like it is. And I say, well, it's a good thing I don't, because if I told it like it is, I'd call you an arrogant, prideful jerk to your congregation. I just tell it like it is. That's, they're so proud of that. That doesn't change anybody. It never changes anybody to tell it like it is. Telling it like it could be, that is preaching in faith. I could get up here every week and say, you guys are a bunch of no good, lousy reprobates. You sin here and sin here and sin there and sin there. In fact, a lot of people would say, Jerry, you know, why don't you preach on sin more? Look, I just say, like we're going to preach on, on lie, don't lie. I just say, look, we're all, we all lie. We all lie to ourselves. Now let's talk about how we can live with integrity. So we're going to spend one minute on the sin, and the next 44 minutes we're going to spend on how do I follow Jesus in the Spirit and learn how to be truthful because I am following truth personified. The Word, truth, became flesh. I don't want to talk about all the bad reasons why we shouldn't tell lies. If you haven't figured that out yet, I can't help you. But I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had... I, Pastor, some people are spiritual masochists. They're like, Pastor, I was so good, you made me feel so bad. What's wrong with us? Right? I had a guy leave our church one time because he, he, took, me, he took me to Panera. We were friends. We're still friends. He took me to Panera and he says, listen, Jerry, we've got to find a new church because I need a pastor who will stomp on my toes every, every single Sunday and make them bloody. And I'm saying, well, I've got ten guys I can send you to. I, you know, right over there, right over there, right over there. Right. I said, but thank you for leaving because that is never going to be me. Why? Because nobody changes with nagging. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen in the pulpit, and it doesn't happen anywhere else. So don't tell it like it is. Tell it like it could be. In fact, draw a picture. This is what you could become. This is what God could do in your life. This is what it would look like if you would surrender that area of your life and that area of your life, the next step for you. This is what it could be like with God's power in your life. And then get excited. They get excited. Paul says, I'm confident I believe in you. The second thing he, he did, write this down if you're taking extra credit, he gave people vision. The vision was that you're going to keep growing, that God finishes what he starts. You don't have to put your faith in them. Put your faith in him. And he's not going to leave you halfway there. I don't know which Sunday school teachers told me this. I have kept it at the forefront of my mind. I wish I knew which Sunday school teacher. I had so many great Sunday school teachers. I wish I knew which one because I would write them a thank you note every single year. This is what he said. I had some Sunday school teacher who said this. He said, Jerry, God has not brought you this far to leave you. It was a difficult time. And sometimes you feel like, God, God, where are you? And what he was saying is, look back. Look back how far God's brought you. He has not brought you this far, Seminole Community Church, to leave us. He has not brought you this far, young Christian, to leave you. He has not brought you this far, old saint, to leave you now. Oh, no. He is faithful and he is going to finish what he, has, what he has started. And it's been proven over and over and over in all kinds of studies. I could give you so many examples that when we tend to, we tend to live up to the expect, expectations that people have for us. You think in your own life of that teacher. You didn't think you'd get an A in that class. They said, oh, you can get it. But I'm a C student. Yeah, but you can get an A in my class. I'm not going to give it to you. You're going to learn it. You're going to work at it. You're going to study for it. I will help you. But I believe you can be an A student. And you got your first day. Or you had a coach. And you didn't believe you could play that position. You didn't believe you could do that skill. And he said, I believe you can. You can learn this. You've got to apply yourself. I'll help you. I believe in you. And they did it. They helped you accomplish that. Because here's, here's what we learn over and over again. We tend to become what we believe the most important person in our life thinks about us. This is why you dads, it's so important. It's so important that you believe in your kids. You don't have to believe in, I mean, like, he needs a haircut, he needs to find the shoes. You don't have to believe in that kid. You believe in what God can do with that kid, because I've seen God change so many lives here. Guys who were just jerks, guys who were addicted, who come in, and now God has turned them into a Christ follower. That you don't even know their story. I'm going to try to get them to put it on video at one point or another. I can't tell you how many women I've met, if I can say it this way, who are challenging. And now by following Jesus and applying 
God's Spirit to their lives, they have become one of the most lovely trophies of grace. And they're all over our church. Don't give up on anybody. God doesn't. You don't give up. People didn't give up on me, and they should have. I wish I knew who I could send, who I could send that thank you card to. God hasn't brought you this far to leave you. All right, I got to keep going. Sorry. I got a lot of emotions this week. I could fall apart again. Don't worry. But this is important. The third thing that he does, he's, Paul was patient with people's progress. He was patient with people's progress. He says, I'm confident that what God began in you, he's going to keep on and he's going to carry it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. He was patient with people's progress. And this is, this is important because I'm not good at this by nature, but I have learned because I've seen God do it. Why is this so important to your happiness? I'll tell you why. You listening? I'm going to tell you why. If you insist on perfection in people, you will be miserable and unhappy for the rest of your life. Bank on it. And I'll tell you what, there's no perfect people, especially you. You're not perfect. I don't love you because you're perfect. Because <laughs> you're not. And if you have to have perfect kids, you will be miserable forever. If you have to have a perfect marriage, you will be miserable forever. If you have to have perfect parents, there are no perfect parents. If you have to have a perfect company, a perfect boss, a perfect employees, perfect neighborhood, <laughs> there's no perfect HOA. <laughs> it's just HA. Ha, ha, ha. There's no perfect people. And you aren't perfect either. Paul says, I'm patient with people's progress. Let me give you a little application hint to this point. If you really want to be happy in your relationships, if you want to have happier relationships and have a happier life, then here's how you do it. You celebrate. Kristen says celebrate is a choice. Yes, it is. You celebrate how far people have come rather than judging them for how much farther they have to go. The church is terrible at this as a whole in America. We're all about, oh, yeah, well, you know, a, they've come a long way, but, boy, they've got a long way to go. Did you know she does this and this and this and he does this and this and then they still struggle with that, that? Have you read their prayer requests? Oh, my, oh, my Jesus, right? Leave those churches if you're watching online and you're at that church, please. No, we've got to celebrate how far people have come. I get it. They may have far to go. That's not on them. That's on him. His job is to get them there. Their job is to just point in the right direction and keep following Jesus. So well, how come God hasn't changed them yet? Once you ask God, in fact, why don't you just ask God, how come He hasn't changed you yet? Your pride and your arrogance, your judgmentalness. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm. I got a much lovelier example of this. How do you be patient with people's progress? Listen, when my kids were little, they would draw me pictures. Father's Day, especially, I'd get some refrigerator fodder, and they would draw this picture and they would bring it to me and say, "What do you think, Daddy?" I didn't even know what it was sometimes. I learned to ask. Tell me about it. Here's what I would say. I would say, Kristen, that's perfect. I would say, Josh, that's perfect. He used to let me call him Joshy back then. Joshy, that's perfect. Now, look, it wasn't a Picasso. Sometimes it looked worse than, or better than a Picasso. I don't know. Have you seen Picasso? But it was perfect for this, their, that stage of their life. God doesn't wait until you're mature to love you. Thank goodness. So you shouldn't wait until people are mature to love them either. We are a church who loves people where they are. All their warts, all their bad language, no matter what they smell like, no matter what they drive in on. We had a girl come to our youth group first night up here. She left a big, a big giant F-bomb right there. Oh, oh my gosh, don't kick me out. <laughs> Repetitive Rich is like, it's okay. Well, it's not okay, but we're not going to kick you out. <laughs> Imagine even, even being worried about that. So listen, no matter how you are coming here, we love you. I love you as your pastor. The key is patience. How do I celebrate how far people have come rather than judging them for how far they still have to go? It's in verse 7. So it is right that I should feel as I do. In other words, I expect the best from you. It's right that I should feel what I do expect best of you about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. Circle that phrase, in my heart. This is important for you to learn, for all of us to learn. This is a real key to happiness, real key to joy in your life and in your relationships. This is real key to healthy relationships. 
You've got to have people in your heart. You know what I've discovered? I want you to fill it in. I want you to write this down. I've discovered if people aren't on my heart, they are on my nerves. Absolutely. And if I want to get them off my nerves, not argue them off, push them off, yell them off my nerves, I've got to get them on my heart. And that gets people off my nerves. If I'm praying for somebody, they just don't bug me as much. If I'm praying for someone, they just don't bother me as much. Some of y'all have to pray a lot. <laughs> if they're on my heart, they're not on my nerves. But if I'm not praying for them, I get, I get pretty perturbed pretty easily. I, I can be a jerk. I'm not gentle, even though that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So many of the relationship we have, problems we have, over and over again, is because we tend to react with our head, not with our heart. And that's the wrong. Men, I want to talk to you for a second. This applies to women too, but it's important because in our gender, it usually applies to us more. Let's say your wife comes to you and she says, this really frightens me or this really worries me or this really concerns me. And it can be about anything. You can be anything from flying to the retirement to the markets to the pandemic to the supply line to the price of gas. I mean, just turn on the news. There's a there's hundred things for you to worry about today. You know, the world's boom, boom, boom. The world's going to end by tomorrow probably. The way, you know, they said that back in 2012. Didn't the Mayans say it was all going to be over in 2012 anyway? You know, we're on bonus round, okay? So here's the thing. When they come to you and say, this, is really, this really worries me or this, this frightens me or this concerns me, what we do, especially as men, we react with our head, not with our heart. We say things like, well, that's dumb or that's not logical or you shouldn't feel that way. Stupid, stupid men whenever we do that. Is that, is that. Was that helpful? Did that build a bridge to her heart? No. Because we're reacting with our head. So when they say things like, you don't understand, they're not saying, you don't cognitively know the facts and the reasoning behind the facts. That's not what they're saying when they're saying, you don't understand. What they're saying is, you don't feel my pain. You don't feel what I'm feeling. And you don't care. It has nothing to do with understanding. It has everything to do with empathy. You're not sympathetic and you're not empathetic. You don't care. You're not feeling my feelings. So when they say, you don't understand, and we try to logic it out, it's not logic, it's feelings. And feelings are not good or bad. They just are. They're just feelings. They're not right or wrong. They're just feelings. It leads us to the fourth habit. I've got to finish with this one because we are out. Number four, I must love people in my life like Jesus does. I must be grateful for people. I must pray for people in my life with joy. I must expect the best from the people in my life, and I must love them like Jesus does. I told you this is easy for me to say. It's not easy for us to do. You know why it's hard to love people like Jesus does? Because you're not Jesus. In fact, why don't we just practice that right now? Just turn to your spouse and just say, hey, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> They're going to go, yeah, no kidding. I mean, even if you're Hispanic and your parents named you Jesus, you're still not Jesus. Right? I know. Email my daughter. She'll take care of all your emails. He didn't mean that. Yeah, but yeah, you, you might be Jesus, but you ain't Jesus. You ain't no Jesus. You ask your wife. She'll tell you. We tend to be self-centered. We don't love people with Jesus' love because we're not Jesus. We tend to look at our own needs. How is this impacting me? How is, this a, how is their behavior decision affecting me? But I have to love like Jesus does. That's the fourth thing that Paul says in verse 8. He says, Good, God knows how much I love you and love, long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I love these verses because I identify with this. Paul planted this church. He was the first pastor of this church. This, this is how I feel about our church. I planted this church. I'm the first pastor of this church. And I am grateful for you. I've been praying for you. Before you ever got here, I've been praying for you. I am praying now for people who aren't even here yet. I've never met yet. God, bring who you want to Seminole Community Church. Has been prayed over each and every one of you for years before you ever got here. Some of you should have gotten here earlier. I'm just saying. And I want you to know it's an honor to serve as your pastor. I love you. I don't love you because you're perfect. I love you because God has given you to me to love. It's my calling. It's not my job. It's my calling to love you. 1 John 3.16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we ought also to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. What is that reference? 1 John 3.16. Doesn't that kind of remind you of another verse, John 3.16? You, 
you, you know what the problem with relationships is today? People, know, people who know John 3.16, Christ follower believers, ignore 1 John 3.16, which was actually written to believers. We all know John 3.16. Most of us can, can quote it. God's love the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. That's the way to salvation. That's the way to have your past forgiven, a, a purpose for living in a home in heaven. But we ignore, as believers, too often, 1 John 3, 16, where it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave his life up for us. Oh, that's not the part we ignore. So, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If we would do that, we would have no relationship problems. Because we wouldn't be thinking about ourselves. We would be thinking about them, other people. So as we close, I want to ask you to just do a little personal evaluation on these four things, these four habits. Which of these do you need to work on? We need to work on all of them, but which one do you need to work on most today? And maybe what you need to work on most today with your, with your child is different than with your spouse or with your siblings. Which of these four do you need to work on most? Who do you need to be more grateful for? Who in your life have you taken for granted? Who have you failed to appreciate? Be grateful for the people in your life. Number two, are you praying for the people in your life? Are you praying with joy? Are you praying with complaining? I want to encourage you to write down some names and pray those four things. Write down the people that are the closest to you and start praying those four things. Your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your parents, boss, best friend, whoever it is. Pray that they'll grow in love, that they'll make wise. Pray for me. Pray that they'll grow in love, make wise decisions, that live with integrity, and they'll become like Jesus. And then let me ask you this. Are you, are you patient with people's progress? Or do you demand perfection? It's just never good enough. People have to be perfect for you to enjoy them. You're never going to enjoy them. And then finally, who do you need to start loving with your heart rather than your head? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to give. Give us the power to be grateful for the people in our life. You can make that your prayer. I ask you to give me the power to be grateful for the people in my life. God, help me remember the best and forget the rest. And on those bad relationships, help me to start praying for them and pray with joy. To pray that they'll grow in love and that they'll live with integrity and that they'll become like Christ. Dear God, I, I want you to help me to develop the habit of expecting the best of people in my life rather than criticizing the worst. Help me to believe in people. Help me to be confident and build confidence. Help me to be patient with people's progress. Help me to recognize how far people have come, not how how far they still have to go. And dear God, help me to have love in my heart and to love people not from my head. Men, you guys that are married, say, God, help me to love my wife from my heart, not from my head. And help me to love the people, all of us can pray this, help me to love the people in my life like Jesus does. That I would be willing to lay my life down in sacrifice and in service. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Mel again. If you're fortunate enough to have a dad in your life, be sure to reach out to him today and let him know how much you appreciate him. Thanks for worshiping with us and enjoy the rest of your weekend. See ya.